When the carol Joy to the World was written, most songs sung in European church services were the Psalms of the Old Testament. After one Sunday service, 15-year-old Isaac Watts complained about, quote, the atrocious worship. One of the deacons challenged him with, give us something better, young man. He went home and penned his first hymn, and the love of hymn writing stuck with him for the rest of his life. Isaac would later write well-known songs like The Wondrous Cross and This is the Day the Lord Hath Made. In 1719, his book, Psalms of David Imitated, was published, not as a new paraphrase of David, but as an imitation of him in New Testament language. Watt's perspective was the Psalms bursting forth in their complete fulfillment. Joy to the World is the imitation of the last half of Psalm 98, which directs, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Watts transformed the old Jewish psalm of praise for historic deliverance into a song of rejoicing for the salvation of God that began when Jesus was born and will be complete when he returns. Then we will see his blessing flow far as the curse is found. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. As we approach the pinnacle of our Advent journey, I want to take a moment to welcome all of you across the network and to even now wish you a very Merry Christmas. We're just days away from celebrating that our Lord has come. And it is my prayer that you and your family would know that reality in all of its fullness. The fullness that he has come. It's one of the reasons why for the last few weeks we've been having a conversation looking at some of the things that we hear at this time of year, the songs and scriptures. We've been trying to understand what God has said and what he is saying, what he said that first Christmas and what he even wants to say today. And we've called that conversation Joy Unspeakable, which really hints at a joy that doesn't have adequate words to describe. It, it, it's indescribable. There's, it, it leaves us speechless, breathless, even emotionally overwhelmed. And we've seen this kind of show up in hints along the, the Christmas narrative in some lives like a priest named Zechariah, or even in the shepherds who couldn't find enough words or right words to describe what they encountered of hope and peace and love and a unspeakable, indescribable joy. It's actually a joy that the psalmist calls us to shout in Psalm 98. These are the words, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth, burst into jubilant song with music, make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. These, these words are incredibly appropriate for us to, to embrace at this time of year. We know it, we kind of we feel it, but I wonder if we actually know why. See, Christmas is this space, it's a season of joy, and it creates this almost moment of additional permission, it feels like, to embrace things like hope and expectancy. 
We long and look forward to this time of year for months. We look forward to hanging out with family, with friends, maybe some time off from work or from school. Even the decorations and the gift exchanges all create this space of of hopeful expectancy. But it's also a space of joy. Joy. And, and, And this is what I want to talk through today, what this is and, and make sure we understand what we mean when we say joy. Because what we're talking about comes from a Greek word, a noun that, that, that is this element of gladness and rejoicing and delight that's within us. And it creates a space and dynamic for repeating joy, repeating sounding joy. In fact, I want to offer you three descriptions of the joy we're talking about, put them in your headspace as we walk through this time today. Here's the first one, a deep abiding delight. The joy we're talking about is this deep remaining delight. Beyond that, that is a feeling of inner rejoicing that almost like it's welling up within us. It's, it's within us, but it's, it's kind, of, kind of peeking out and overflowing. And it is not based on circumstance. It's a gladness that is not connected or based on any circumstance. It's actually sourced very differently. It's not based in source of other things like happiness. It's, it's connected differently. Now, many of you know that I spent some time in the Army. And, and as a result, I actually have a, a, an interest and a little extra attention towards the Army-Navy football game that happens every year in December. Uh, since 1890, the service academies, West Point and Annapolis, have engaged in the, those friendly fields of play on, in the football field in competition for bragging rights. And, and they've done it for many years. In fact, just last weekend was the 120th meeting between the Army and Navy football teams. And after three years of Army victories, Navy won. And they won by a margin of 24 points, which is the exact margin when they won in the very first game in 1890. Now, you may not be interested in this at all. You may not care. In my family, we care. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you to all of my Navy and Marine Corps friends who made a very intentional effort to make sure I knew that Army lost. Thank you for your care, your concern, your offers of consolation and encouragement. And I especially want to thank my anonymous Navy friend for the gift of this pillow pet. (laughs) It is of the Army mascot, a mule, seemingly dressed in Navy colors. And I believe offered to me as a source of comfort to help me work through my grief and maybe even wipe my tears. Thank you. This is a pillow pet, which it's a pet like this, and it becomes a pillow like this. This is a pillow. This becomes a pet. And I I know my anonymous Navy friend intended it to be something that could help me find comfort and work through my grief. And to you, I say thank you. And we will see you next year. For the rest of us, I share this also for a very different reason and a better reason than that. You see, this is designed, this little thing is designed to give comfort. It's it's soft, it's cuddly, we can snuggle up to it and feel better in any condition we may be in. But it is designed to give comfort. At this time of year, we, we seek and even sing about comfort and joy. The reality is, this can provide comfort, but it cannot provide joy. Not only because of what it is, but it's not very joyful for me to think about why I have this. (laughs) This can provide comfort, but it cannot provide joy. Comfort and joy are two different things. 
In fact, joy is not found in a thing, but in a someone. It's not found in a something, it's found in a someone. And if you're tracking along with your note guide today, that gets us to our first fill-in, that true joy is based in a someone and not a something. It's based in a someone, not a something. We, we tend to seek joy in family or kids or career or just work environments altogether, but those are spaces where joy will always be elusive. Joy, that deep abiding delight, that gladness apart from circumstances is not found in accomplishing anything or achieving some desire. It is, it's found in a someone and not a something. It's found in Jesus only. His love and his life gives us access to joy. So it's not a feeling to be acquired. It's not just an emotion. It's not based in circumstances. It's based in faith. It's based in belief. It's an attitude. And, and when we choose to follow Jesus, it actually is something he imparts that the Holy Spirit gives. Holy Spirit declares that we can have joy. It's, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if we follow Jesus, we can and should have love and joy in our life, it can mark us. We can have a deep, abiding delight. We can have a gladness apart from circumstances. So it, if we go back to the joy to the world song, which is rooted back in that Psalm 98 passage that we started our conversation with, we found, find some helpful clarity in its lyrics. The, the first line being, joy to the world, the Lord is come. So. Because he has come that first Christmas, there is joy to us. It's, it's now. It's something imparted to us apart from circumstances, which is it's great. It's wonderful. But in order to have it, we have to go a bit further. In order to hold that joy, to embrace that joy, we've got to step further. And, and the next few lyrics help us understand the context, where it says, Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. So there is a receiving component and a preparing of room component in our hearts. They're essential to having the joy that is available, that deep abiding delight, that inner rejoicing. Now, we saw last week as we looked at the story of the shepherds that when the angel showed up to them, the angel said, do not fear, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, in that moment, we get to recognize and see that because God loved us, he sent Jesus. Because God loved us, he gave us Jesus. And it is joy to the world because of Jesus. It's through him that we can experience it. It's directly from him. He is the someone. True joy is based in someone, not something. Now, you may be thinking, okay, are you really sure? How do we know this? Well, let me show you how we know this. It comes from the very words of Jesus himself. John 15 is one example. He said this, Jesus said, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my what? Joy. My joy, his joy, the joy of Jesus, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The ability to have joy comes from him. He imparts it. His love leads us to a space that we can have joy completely. Completely. One chapter later in John 16, he says this, Until now, until now, you have not asked anything for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Jesus offers to us, as the someone, a complete joy, apart from circumstance. 
and an abiding delight and gladness, an inner rejoicing. It, it's totally complete in him. It's not half-baked. It's not missing any, any component at all. He offers us a complete joy that we can receive if we will. Now, he goes on in the very next chapter in a conversation with God. He's praying and he says this, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. The they and the them is us. <laughs> and Jesus, this is utterly astounding to me because Jesus is praying a prayer that we would have his joy, and not just have his joy, but that that joy would continue to develop and grow and be complete until our joy matches his. It's the same as his. A people marked by joy. It's a phenomenal reality to what Christmas is all about. True joy is based in someone, not something. And since he has come, you and I can't have joy. We can have it now. He gives it to us. There's a theologian and author, it's one of my favorite authors and theologians to read. His name's Oswald Chambers. He says this about joy. Joy means the perfect fulfillment of that for which I was created and regenerated, not the successful doing of a thing. Joy is not based in a something, it's based in a someone. And we can experience joy because Jesus imparts joy to us. But our purpose is linked to it. When we live into our purpose, we begin to experience joy. And we were made by him and we were made for him. And that's where we begin to find the joy that he offers. That's really good to know, but we have to understand how it works. And that starts when we begin to understand that joy is a gift to be received. Joy is a gift to be received. It, it is a gift that Jesus gives to all who receive him. It's, it's not a feeling uh, based in something we find or experience. It's not an emotion to be acquired Joy is a gift to be received. It, we don't conjure it. We don't develop it. It's that joy, that unending joy is a gift that Jesus gives if we will embrace it. If we will lay hold of it. It's not to be earned. It is a joy that is completed in and through him. It's, it's not even just because of him. So we know that we celebrate Christmas because he came. That's, that's knowledge. That doesn't mean we may have belief, but we have to move past the reality that he came to receiving the reality that he came and the receiving the reality that he offers us a joy. And that means we're rightly related to him in order to do that. If we're not rightly related to Jesus, joy will be elusive. We'll struggle to find it until we are rightly related to him. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus now, but your life is not marked by joy, that's a really good indicator that something's wrong or missing in your relationship with him. He offers us joy, his joy, and it's joy that can be complete. So if we don't have it, something's missing. And I think many of us get tripped up in this area. We bump into things of this world where we worry, we have fears. We maybe even bump into things we can't make sense of, we can't see a next. People say things at us or to us, and that starts to chew up headspace. And we let things like that worry and fear, even sorrow, take more territory in our lives. And if we're in a place where we're looking for some kind of dynamic to be resolved, or we're, or we're looking for joy based on things... Or we're looking for God to do a very specific thing. And if he does that very specific thing, well, then, then we can have joy. We're going to struggle to find it. We're going to struggle to have it. Because that's not the joy that Jesus seeks to give us. It, that's really more like comfort. 
Comfort kind of comes alongside and it's, flu- it's fluffy and plush and it, it salves discomfort. It makes us feel a little better, but it just covers. It's, it's comfort over joy when we're trying to get circumstances to be the defining factor. But Jesus says he imparts us joy. And I want to look at that joy today. In fact, what we're going to dig into, Scripture describes it as what angels long to look into, which is pretty cool. (laughs) We're going to look at that because our Lord seeks to impart an incredible, indescribable, unspeakable joy. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it. Turn to the New Testament to 1 Peter. 1 Peter comes after the books of Hebrews and James. If you find 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, you've got to come back a little bit. We're in 1st Peter chapter 1. And we're going to step away from a traditional Christmas passage today. We'll get to those on Christmas Eve. But we're going to step into this passage of Scripture so we can understand this joy that we can have and receive as a gift because of that Christmas reality we celebrate. Now, this is written by a man named Peter who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And he wrote it to Christians scattered across Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey. And it's believed he wrote it from Rome which is where he would be executed under the persecution of Emperor Nero. But he wrote this and sent that out before that. Now, we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 9 in the NIV translation, the New New International Version. And the way it's translated in the NIV, it's broken into six sentences. But in the original Greek, when it was written, it was just one sentence, one thought. It not, not segmented, not disconnected or compartmentalized, one consistent consecutive thought. And I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through the scriptures today. And encourage you just to follow along as we read. If you don't have a Bible, to be up here on the screen. But we're going to walk through this scripture, unpacking and pulling back the layers to, layers to understand this gift of joy that we can receive because of Christmas, because of Jesus. So here we go. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a really good start. In his great mercy, he has given. He has what? He's given. Keep that in mind. It's a gift. He's given. Us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, in a way, Jesus' birth at Christmas positions a journey that allows us to have our own birth, a new birth, a spiritual birth. So his birth leads us to be able to have a new birth. And, and Peter actually declares there's two things that come as a result, that, he, that Jesus gives new life and a living hope. So because of the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus, we can have new life, new birth, and a living hope. That's, that's great. That's something we can have even now, which that's something we can shout for joy about. But let's keep reading along in this. Because there's more. Verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now let me just hold there. If you're in your own Bible and you make notes or highlight or underline, or if you're just using the note guide, I want to encourage you to highlight, underline, number three things. New birth, living hope, inheritance. These are three gifts that come directly because our Lord has come. Directly because of him being born at Christmas and his life and death and resurrection that follows. Three things. His his birth, his death, his resurrection leads to new life, living hope and inheritance for us. It's wonderful. It's great. Even John, one of the other disciples, says, look, when when we receive him, we believe in him and his name, we're given the rights as children of God. There's an inheritance component to that reality. There's another part in Corinthians that talks about when we actually step into a place of 
of believing in Jesus Christ, we're new creatures in him. The old is gone and the new has come. So there is this new life, there's a living hope, and there is inheritance. So in that condition, as a people like that, here's the deal. We'll keep reading in verse 5. That new life, we have it as a people who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is something to shout about. This is like a woohoo thing in Scripture when we understand that the, the manger at Christmas and the cross at Easter and the empty tomb, tomb position us to experience significant realities for eternity. There is this element of new birth. There is a living hope. There is an inheritance. But there's also a dynamic of shielding. There is this protection when this shielding component they identify as because of faith. It's, it's like a military force protecting against invasion. It's like a force protecting against a besieged city. It's, it's a really cool dynamic to think that we have that reality in our life when we follow him. And it should lead to joy. It should give us the ability to celebrate even now. But let's get back into what he's writing, what Peter's describing in here. Because Jesus gives us the gift of joy when we receive him. That, that, that should allow us to celebrate, allow us to shout. So it's a gift from him. If we receive him, we get to have it. So let's keep reading though. Verse 6. In all this, and, and the all this is the, the new life, the living hope, the inheritance, and protection. Okay, those things. You greatly rejoice. Like, yep, 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 you betcha, we do. That's because it's awesome. Though now for a little while, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Hold the phone for just one moment, please. He said we're shielded. It means we're protected. And it's absolutely true. But here's the nuance in that. We're protected in, not necessarily protected from. There's a difference. The protecting and the shielding that Jesus provides by faith, when we embrace faith in him, is protection in, not necessarily protection from, which is often kind of hard for us to embrace. I mean, I would rather be protected from than protected in. I, I would rather not experience trouble. I'd rather not experience any hardship. But the reality is, the promise is to be protected in, in this world, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of sorrow. He protects in, not necessarily protects from. Now, the reality is Christmas can actually be a season of joy, but for some it's actually a season of hardship and sadness, difficulty, sorrow. For some of us, we grieve the loss of loved ones at this time of year just a little more than normal. They're gone. We miss them in this season. This life can be hard. We experience difficulty in lots of arenas. There is pain in this life. There is emotional, there is relational difficulty, there is mental challenge, there are physical challenges we have to face. Put in your challenge. This world and life can be difficult, yet his joy is not dependent upon circumstance. It is complete in him, even now. And it was Jesus who actually once said in John 16, now is your time for grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. The things of this world will perish and spoil and fade, but the things that Jesus offers, they don't. They remain. They are steadfast. And if you find yourself in this season suffering, struggling with hardship, maybe grieving in the holidays for the loss of loved ones, the loss of relationships, the dynamics within family. I want to encourage you to take this as encouragement. 
to not run from the trial and not try to avoid the difficulty, but be willing to remain in it with joy, to endure it with joy, because there's a reason. See, right before Jesus says this, two verses earlier, this is what he says. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy, to deep abiding delight. Gladness apart from circumstances. He says it will turn. Now, so understand that our grief actually ends up being a pathway to joy and catch the nuance. He is not seeking to replace our sorrow with joy, but to turn our sorrow into joy. That's different. So what in reality ends up happening is that joy becomes the pathway, or the sorrow becomes the pathway by which we get to joy. It's not the circumstances changing or not. It's the transformation of a Lord who was Lord at his birth, who has come. He transitions sorrow into joy. Jesus went on to say after this verse, he uses the imagery of a woman giving birth. He says, a woman goes through the pain and anguish of birth, but that anguish turns into joy when she sees the arrival of the child into the world. Jesus seeks to turn our sorrow into joy, not just to remove it or replace it, not just to cover it, not just to bring comfort into the equation. He doesn't, he doesn't seek to give us a pillow pet. <laughs> he seeks to take that sorrow and turn it into joy, transform it. That's a, that's a very different way to look at joy and sorrow for many of us. But it validates how joy is separate from circumstances. It's, it's different. Let's take a, take a look at what Peter continues to say in 1 Peter. He said, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief. Okay? The NIV, that, that's those words, you may have had. It's missing a bit of a nuance because there, there's a hint in the original language of if necessary. There, there's a space of if need be. If need be, if necessary, you may have had to suffer. And, and if you may have had to suffer in your life in the journey, if, if you may have had to go through something, I want you to know that suffering is not God toying with you. It's not even him neglecting you. If he has allowed it, it's to help you. It's the if necessary, if, if need be component to it. It's almost like a coach leading a sports team who, who leads their players into training uh, to run further, to, to run faster, to lift more weight, to go through the pain and the, the challenge and the fatigue of training so that they are positioned to be more fit and more successful to win the race, to win the competition and the contest. In a very similar way, suffering is not pleasant, but it's not all bad. There is a space within suffering by which God uses it to refine us, to make us more spiritually fit so that we can fight the good fight, so that we're, we're purified, so that we sit in a space where we experience the fullness of his joy. And, and the end results make it worth it. Because Jesus wants to turn any sorrow, any disappointment, he wants to turn that into a joy, a complete joy, a, a deep abiding gladness apart from circumstances. And what Peter's saying in this moment, and what we've read so far, he's saying, look, I know life can be hard. I know life can be difficult. But listen, there's a reason. And he actually gives the reason in verse 7. Take a look. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, He's like, look, they're coming so that your faith may be proved genuine. Proved genuine. Suffering is consistently identified as a refining and purifying agent. Yet I think we tend to despise it. 
I think we tend to try to avoid it. Yet even the little brother of Jesus, James, understood and called us to consider it pure joy, to consider it pure, deep, abiding delight. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. He goes on to say that perseverance needs to continue to mature and be complete so that it is what it can be. There, there is a fundamental reality to what James is saying that connects back to what Peter is saying. When Peter says, your, so your faith may be proved genuine so that it may result in praise, that's shouts, and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Resulting in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. We can shout about that. That is good. We can say yes and amen to that. But I want you to catch what it doesn't necessarily result in. It doesn't say that it results in smooth sailing. It doesn't say it results in less trouble. It doesn't even say it results in explanation. Which I actually think is the thing we often want first in any dynamic that we have to suffer or endure anything. We want to know why. We, we, want to, we want the explanation of why do we have to suffer? Why the loss, Jesus? Why, why the illness? Why me? Why not somebody else? Why can't I enjoy what others are experiencing? And in that space, we're waiting for an explanation. Well, my friends, if you are waiting for an explanation before you're willing to receive the gift of joy that Jesus gives, be prepared to wait. If you're waiting for explanation before being willing to receive the gift of joy he gives, be prepared to wait. Even be prepared not to experience the things we talked about that he gives as gifts and inheritance and protection and living hope. See, Jesus offers us a joy in the midst of complexity. He, he seeks to turn our sorrow into joy, not skip it not even cover it with a pillow pet. <laughs> he, he doesn't seek to simply replace it. He seeks to turn it and transform it. But if you're waiting for explanation, I want to encourage you to instead choose to wait in faith, to take him at his word. D don't require explanation to get to the joy he's offering. Whatever trial you're in, whatever difficulty you're facing, even now today, shout his name. Declare victory in his name. Declare victory in him because he is the Lord who has come. He is the one who imparts joy and it is joy complete. Our faith, the, the faith that leads to experiencing the hope and the peace and the joy that he offers, that faith doesn't need explanation. Hebrews describes faith and defines it as being sure of what we hope for, certain what we do not see. That, that's, that's faith without seeing. And if you're in a space where your faith is positioned, where you're waiting for the explanation, you're waiting to see so that you will extend faith. If you're waiting for the answer so that you will then believe, that's not faith you're pursuing. It's convincing. Or at best, acquiescence. The space of preparing him room requires stepping by faith. If we're waiting for explanation and for answers, we're really not preparing room by faith. We're actually giving limited and conditional space because we choose to agree, because we're acquiescing. But faith, faith which is belief without seeing, positions us to experience a divine inheritance which leads to praise and glory and honor of God in our lives. A, a shouting space, a repeating joy space when we receive.
Even Peter understood the dynamic of being willing to believe without seeing. He ties this whole thing off by saying in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. He's talking about Jesus. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, an unspeakable joy in the King James Version. And the word that inexpressible and unspeakable come from is a word that's only used once in all of Scripture, and it's right here, to describe the joy that Jesus gives as a gift. For he says, for you are receiving, and that's active, not passive, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that's why we can shout at Christmas. That's why we celebrate at Christmas. Because in the end, when we choose love and we choose faith, we can experience inexpressible joy. Not because of something good in our life or, or bad circumstances defining it in any way, but simply because we receive it as a gift, an inexpressible, unspeakable joy that words are inadequate to describe because there is divine mystery, a divine mystery that doesn't fade uh, that isn't pushed around in the storms of life, that doesn't shift in the winds of change, that doesn't get messed up in the brokenness and frailty of humanity. It is a gift from Jesus for all who receive him. And when we receive it, well, then we no longer feel the need this is in the same way for explanation, for an answer, for clarity on a next, or, or for insight into any kind of lack in our life of health or, or, or answers. We just get to a space where we don't question the level of shielding or, or not. It, it just changes the way that we sit in a space of believing and we can find peace in his unspeakable joy there. Because when we receive him, we receive it. We, we're positioned to receive him and then receive it. it. The end result is not the joy. The end result is proximity to our purpose and proximity to our Lord. And when we have love and faith in him, that leads to inexpressible joy apart from circumstance. And it also means that joy is always an option. Whenever you're in your journey right now in life, whatever you're facing, joy is an option now. Choosing to believe, choosing to put our faith and hope in him, that leads to joy. We've not seen Jesus, but yet we can still believe. And we can step and we can accept and we can embrace the realities of who he is in our life. But we have to receive him and not just believe. We have to receive it, not just simply believe it. For some people, you believe that he came. You believe that he did what he said he did. You believe the words he speaks, but you've not moved past believing. You've not moved into receiving. We have to move beyond believing to receiving in order to experience the fullness of all that he offers. Not, not just believe, but receive. It's almost like getting a gift at Christmas that we don't open. If we don't move past believing to actually receiving, that's like leaving the gift unopened. And every unopened gift is unrealized potential. We have to receive and not simply believe, which takes us back to the Joy to the World song. Specific line that let every heart prepare him room. That room is to receive. To receive his authority, to receive his truth, to receive his love. It's creating space to give him time. It's space giving him control. It, preparing him room is creating space for all that he offers in hope and peace and joy and love. And Jesus offers all of that. And his joy is for everyone. It's always available. It's always an option, but it's a choice. And choosing to believe, preparing him room, positions us to receive him as king and an inexpressible joy that comes along with it apart from circumstances.
So I want to invite you to consider this particular question this Christmas. How do you need to prepare him room? How do you need to prepare him, him room? We will not experience true joy until we prepare him room. Until we prioritize him, until we receive him as king, until we position ourselves to experience relationship with him. Knowing him and living for him is where we encounter our purpose. We're made by him and for him. So how do you need to prepare him room? Being rightly related to God through Jesus is where we find joy. If we're willing to receive him, giving him time, giving him control, giving him authority in our life. And if you're willing to receive him as king, if you're willing to prepare him room in your heart, then you can experience unspeakable joy this Christmas, apart from any circumstance you face. Receive him and receive joy as the gift alongside. Maybe you can do that for the first time or maybe do it again, having gotten lost in the complexities of life. Or maybe you help somebody else find that joy in him. But it's a space where we sit before him and we willingly yield and willingly surrender to all that he is and all that he offers. Where we say, not my will but yours. Not my life but yours. And not my name but yours. That's something to shout. That's something we can declare in repeating, sounding joy. The psalmist invites us in Psalm 100, it says to shout with joy to the Lord all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with singing, with, come before him singing with joy, acknowledge that the Lord is God, he made us and we are his. We are made by him and for him. That's something we can stand on a platform of and declare and shout that he alone is Lord. That's something maybe you can shout this Christmas the full joy that comes in knowing him. And as soon as we do, the Holy Spirit begins to impart greater and greater levels of joy until it's fully complete in Jesus. So how do you need to prepare him room? Not just believing, but receiving. Receiving joy as a gift. A gift that is not based in circumstances, that is something different than comfort. It's based in someone, and that someone is Jesus. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that even in a season that is mixed with emotions of, of excitement and sorrow, in spaces of this world where we experience success but also setbacks, where we may have anticipation of tomorrow or dread of it, that in each of those spaces you offer joy. Jesus, you offer us your joy and that joy can be complete even now because you offer new life and living hope an inheritance as well as protection, protection in whatever we're facing. So Jesus, I pray that you, by your power and might, would move in this space even now, that we would prepare you room and that we would sing and declare, even as angels do, that joy has come, our King has come. And we celebrate and shout that today. So we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen.